everybody, and welcome back to the fifth episode of Summer Forecast High of 70s, a show where we are documenting my own personal journey as a 25-year-old male, discovering this great genre of music known as 70s folk rock for the first time. I am your host, Tyler Henry, and I'm excited to be here uh, with my dear pal and co-host, Nate Bebout. Nate, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I want to acknowledge that even though the show is kind of named tongue-in-cheek, summer forecast high of 70s, that Tyler and I have never partaken of cannabis while listening to any of this music. That's true. He is a good boy, and I am a pastor, and so we would not do such things. (laughs) Uh, But that was not where I thought you were going to go with that. I thought you were going to plug that like the last six days have been highs of mid 70s i thought that's where you were going uh in the in the wee little town that nate and i both live in it's been very mild uh the last week or so and it's i been thought lovely you, i thought you were going that direction no i was going i was going to the the drug condemnation yeah that's that that is good um i guess so anywho i'm glad that you're doing well i'm glad that i you're feel here. like we're missing out on maybe part of how the music was originally enjoyed because i think those 70s rockers were smoking dubs bro they definitely were um and our but i will say i will say with the exception of um our artists today we will be spending time with the great cat stevens who has multiple hits that um have become immortal and are still very alive and well today um and i will plug that i was uh reading an interview of him specifically and uh, he contracted an illness that I'm, we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, but he said that at the time leading up to that, he was smoking a lot. And he mm. said, uh, the vast majority of cigarettes, I tried uh, dope a few times. I didn't like it. So he was, he was a clean boy as well. So he might have He was straight edge cool. before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. He was a straight shooter. Um, and... Yeah, your your opinions on that can be whatever you want, but uh, Cat Stevens states, just said no, so that's good. Anywho, he would make our dare officers proud. He would, he would. So, uh, anywho, uh, that's who we're going to be spending time with today. He is, you know, such an iconic artist um, with so many songs, like I mentioned, that are still within our cultural consciousness. And so, yeah. I'd love to throw it to Nate as we do at every episode at the beginning with your first thoughts, what do you think of when you think of Cat Stevens? Cat Stevens is a, like a cool drink of iced tea on a warm day. He is, yeah. he goes down smooth. He's refreshing. He's honest. Um, he, uh, I think one of the, things he brings to the table is incredible sincerity. That's a weird thing that I never thought about before this podcast of like, what makes music great? And a lot of these folk artists, I think one of the things that makes them great is this sense of you're listening to this music and it just connects and it resonates and you feel um, that you understand this person and where they're coming from and maybe even the experiences that they've gone through. And I think that with Cass Stevens, I think you get the sense um, that you understand this person, this kind of free spirited, 
Um, definitely someone interested in peace and transcendence and looking for a larger meaning. Um, I, I love his, his music. I, I wasn't as familiar with it before this week or this, this last couple of weeks, but man, I've, I've been digging Cat Stevens. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously I didn't know him super well. That's why he has an episode on this podcast. Uh, I definitely went into researching for this episode uh, with an understanding and a knowledge of Cat Stevens specifically saying Peace Train and Wild World, and Mm. that was it. He sang those two songs, and that was his career in a nutshell in my mind. These last couple of weeks have been really fun to listen to just how um, expansive his his work is, but also just of how um, so many songs are I guess I just learned how good of a writer he was both musically and lyrically and how well they fit together and so that's been a really fun aspect for me as we've been listening to Cat more he uh so the cool thing is is he is one of the few folk singers folk rock singers who um came from the UK we don't really talk about than much. Graham Nash, who was a part of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, he was a part of the uh, British invasion right before he joined CSNY. Um, but Cat uh, Stevens was also, he was from London, and you know, they're kind of a rare few. When we think of folk singers, we think of a lot of them, most of them are from the US, some of them are from Canada, um, but it, it's, it's cool that he represented um, a, a very small group from across the pond. And he became, uh, when he first came onto the scene in the 60s, he got his start uh, as an artist specifically within the pop genre. Mm-hmm. He, um, he, his first album, which came out in 1967, called Matthew and Son, it is what propelled his career. Uh-huh. Um, but it was as a pop artist. They, he talked about at the time of after releasing some of his songs from that album, um, he couldn't go anywhere without just being flooded by teenage and 20 year old girls right and so it's funny to me of how we see his career transition but it started off so very much as a boy band type artist well i will i will say this is the most attractive artist we have talked about to date on this podcast physically physically he is a handsome man he is um he's got a little bit of that exotic smokiness in his eyes that greek heritage is coming through those dark beautiful eyes and uh yeah uh, folk music unlike pop music you don't have to really look very attractive to be a to to be a popular folk artist as yes. demonstrated by all many of decades <laughs> of, of uh, folk music uh but you do have to look good to be a pop artist uh yeah. and so uh the fact that he started uh there is is important to note not only yeah like the the genre of music was different but also um he had to be better looking than tyler or i to even be uh, a pop artist to begin with and so you know he is one handsome cat i'll tell you that that's true and uh i'll double down on that and say Mm. that i agree his dark hair his dark uh facial hair and his mm-hmm. olive skin. He's a he's a handsome man, um, and I think that is well deserved praise. So he releases this album, Matthew and Son, and he mm-hmm. gets his start. And I guess what I really liked was it was through 
as he was coming onto the scene as a pop singer, right? He reaches out to Mike Hurst, who was his first partnership. This guy was a producer and a manager. And this was the first guy that um, Kat reached out to. And, you know, really, um, that's how he got his start because Mike Hurst was already established within the industry. And I guess I just really always love to hear about these, um, you know, these iconic singers and artists. I love hearing about their humble beginnings, right? As just like this kid with the guitar case. I was watching this interview. and Mike Hurst was on it, and he was saying, I get this knock at the door, and there's just this scrawny Brit holding a guitar case, and he just says, hey, do you have time for me to play you a few songs? And he said, you know, most of the time I would say no, because I was very busy, but at the time I actually did have some few minutes, so I was like, you know, whatever, I'll let you entertain me, right? And so um, Kat starts playing, and he plays a couple songs, and, you know, he's like, okay, those are fine, like, you're obviously good, kind of a thing. But the final song he plays is I Love My Dog, which is this, um, the, you know, lead single off that first album. And afterwards, Mike Curse says he, once he finished playing, he said, I was blown away. And I told him, kid, that song's going to make you a star. I would love to just once be in a meeting where you hear of any of these most popular songs, these iconic radio hits. I would just love to be in the room when they first played it, just to hear what their producers and their managers were saying, like what they themselves thought of just like, this is the song that will do it. Um, And I Love My Dog, that was the lead single off that first album. And it's what really blew up. And that's what got him noticed. And I think that's just a, uh, that's a fun story for me. There's a a movie that came out, uh, I think it was last year called Yesterday. And the premise of the movie is um, this guy who loves the Beatles wakes up one day and the Beatles, the band, uh, never existed in history. But he has their whole song catalog in his brain. And so he's playing songs for his friend that are just Beatles songs. And they're like, oh, wow, that was a good song. Who wrote that? And he's like, the Beatles. And they're like, I don't know what that is because no one's ever heard of it. Yeah. Um, so he plays uh, maybe like Hey Jude or something, like one of their, maybe it was yesterday, I can't remember. But he plays this beautiful Beatles song that we all know is like one of the most popular songs yeah. in the history of the world. And the girl goes, well, it's no fix you. Like the Coldplay fix you song. She goes, it's no fix you or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's so funny. If you heard a song for the first time, not being a record executive, not being anything other than just a fan of music, could you hear a hit the first time played? Or would you say, well, it's not going to be any bigger than, you know, whatever. I I love that, that concept of like, can you hear a hit before it becomes a hit? Yeah, it's obviously a well-trained, uh, a well-trained ear has to hear that because that reminds me of uh, when Ed Sheeran released his most recent album a couple years ago. Right. He released two singles together before the album came out, um, Shape of You and Castle on a Hill, right? And uh, I found out later, Shape of You is one of Ed Sheeran's least favorite songs he's ever written. He did not like it. He did not want it on the album. Uh, and he said that it took his producers a couple weeks to convince them to put it into the track listing. And so he goes, fine, I'll let it on the album. He goes, then it took like another month. They pestered me every day. We're going to release this as a single. And he says, no, I do not want this album to be you know, highlighted by the song. I don't really even like it that much. And they finally convince him it's going to be a hit, right? And so he's like, fine, I'll release it as a single. 
Um, and it's now like his number one track. It's over a billion listens on Spotify. It's like, it's one of the highest hitting songs on Spotify right now. And so it's so funny to me that like him as the artist put together this song, didn't like it, but his managers were like, no, you don't understand. This is going to do it for you. So that is kind of funny and it shows their skill. Um, and Mike Hurst was able to do that for Cat Stevens. Um, and so, yeah, that first album came out in 1967. And I'll tell you something that I really loved as I, you know, researching and learning more about Cat was on that following album, which came out uh, the following year, um, we see that uh, on the album New Masters, it was his second album, Cat Stevens' second album. Uh, the song that he wrote, and it is his, and because of that now, I think I love it 100 times more than I originally did. But Cat Stevens wrote the song, The First Cut is the Deepest, uh, which has, you know, I just thought that was a Sheryl Crow song. Um, <laughs> and it's not. It's a Cat Stevens song. I became educated within the last couple of weeks. And I was so stoked to hear that that was actually a Cat Stevens song. Um, and that came out with the help of Mike Hertz as well on that second album. Um, and I, I love that. I thought that was just like a really funny connection of um, how I guess I just, you know, didn't know anything about this music from 50 years ago. And uh, that actually came as a result of it. And a funny thing about that is not only was he such a prominent artist in the 70s, but when Cheryl Crow came out with her rendition of that song, it came uh -huh. out in 2005. Cat Stevens actually won Songwriter of the Year in 2005 uh, because she still gave credit to Cat on like, this is his song. Like, I'm just covering it. Right. And so I just thought that was like a wild mind trip for me to go on to realize this isn't her song. It's actually Cat Stevens song. But when she covered it in 2005 he still got credit for it and he won songwriter of the year for it because it became such a big hit she made it such a big hit um yeah i just really loved that i thought that was like a really funny rabbit trail to go down yeah well actually he wrote the song but he was not the first to record it oh so, no yeah so there was a there was an artist named pp P. arnold uh and she released the song in may of 67 and he didn't release his own version until december of 67 so that song has been covered by 68 different artists obviously yeah, just a great song but it's yeah you're right like he wrote it but he's not even the first person to record it that's wow. how popular the song was that's so funny um, and it, it is it's a great song it's it's a really catchy right off the bat uh, awesome tune wow that's really wild and it speaks to this reoccurring theme that we keep talking about of just how collaborative these different artists were back then absolutely <laughs> just i'll write this song you sing it then i'll sing it then you sing it like whatever uh i love that that's really funny so he releases those first two albums um and then 1968 he contracts tuberculosis after constantly touring and performing and traveling all over he contracts tb um and the doctor said it's a good thing that we caught it when we did because uh had you not come in they thought he actually had like weeks left to live it was that far advanced um and so thankfully they're able to treat it um but he spent you know months in recovery um and it was during that time where he was 
you know, uh, isolated and stuck in bed that he really started to um, rethink his approach to music and his approach to life. Um, and when we see him finally get healthy and he releases that next album as a result, uh, the next couple of albums, uh, Mona Bone Jackin and Tea for the Tillerman, when he releases those both in 1970, uh, they're very different in style compared to the first two musically, uh, but they're also extremely different lyrically uh, where you can tell that he's uh, really starting to focus on himself and society and culture as a whole. Uh, and that's where he makes the shift into a folk rock artist. Um, and he left that pop star um boy band girls screaming at him in the streets kind of uh, of a style that is what made the switch was him contracting tuberculosis and him he really changed his style after that yeah um the thing about it is like you hear oh man he come he contracted tuberculosis and like had a reframe and slowed down and so you're thinking oh okay so he probably like made less music and took it easy and like stuff like dude cranked out albums for the next like his run before he retires because of his uh new religious convictions so yeah you, you mentioned matthew and son comes out in 1967 by the time it's 1978 so 11 years later he has released 11 full studio albums it's like it's an insane amount of music and there was a two-year gap in that period when he was suffering from tb you know right yeah so, he doesn't make an album in 68 or 69 but then yeah. after that every year he puts out at least one album um for the next eight years or nine years uh so yeah, yeah and just an incredible run and you know not all of them are awesome you know start to finish and you know some of them you'd be hard to to know a song from that album but they're all like good, you know, thoughtful, um, profound, you know, it's, he's, he's not putting out junk. Uh, and, and I think almost all of them uh, go gold. Several of them go platinum. Some of them go uh, platinum multiple times, you know, teaser and the yeah. Firecat, the album we're about to talk about uh, is platinum three times over. So, you know, he he's putting out music on a very consistent and high volume uh, during this time. Yeah. It, it's, it's wild because, you know, all of his albums in the seventies, they, they, like you said, they do so well. Um, but the one thing that I thought was funny is that uh, his album there in 1970 T for the Tillerman um, that ranks uh, 208th on Rolling Stone's uh, top 500 albums of all time. And then his following album, which we'll be dis discussing later with our guests, um, Teaser and the Firecat, that's just has a handful of just, you know, his top songs ever made, including Peace Train, which is his actual number one track overall. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's the actual following album in 1972, he releases Catch, a, Catch Bowl at Four. Mm -hmm. That was his highest ranking album it stayed at number one on the charts for like months and so it's so funny to me i guess there's that idea of uh anticipation right he releases t for the tillerman it's so good he releases teaser in the fire cat it's incredible and then catch bowl at four comes out and everybody's like this is the only stuff i'm listening to now it, it was number one on the charts for months 
right? Even though like now you would be really hard pressed to name a song from that album. Yeah, yeah exactly. there was definitely momentum for him moving in that direction. I totally agree. Yeah, I, for me, those two albums you mentioned, T for the Tillerman and Teaser and the Firecat are him at his best. It's right yeah. there at the beginning of his rediscovery of who he wants to be and what he wants his sound to be. And those two albums are awesome. They're both very, very good. And again, we will be talking about that 1971 album, Teaser and the Firecat, in a little bit when we have our guests come on. It's a phenomenal collection of songs by Cat. So we see that, you know, he doesn't slow down. He continues to push ahead. Um, but in 1978 or 1977, uh, he converts to Islam and changes his name to Yusuf. Um, the Yusuf then, Islam. <laughs> yeah. Yusuf Islam. Yeah. Uh, and he then changes to, I don't want to write music anymore. I want to... Um, you know, he really wanted to take time to focus on his faith. Uh, but one thing that I found was interesting was that he was still under contract with his uh, record label. So in 1978, he releases Back to Earth, um, which was like, it's a very funny, um, I just feel like it was a very obligatory album on his part, because like, he wants to retire. Uh, he wants to be done. He wants to take time to focus on himself, focus on his faith. Uh, focus on community right um, and the record label just slaps him with the no we got you for one more year that means one more record <laughs> and so he's like okay fine whatever so he releases uh, that back to earth album um, and then he was and then he was set free in 1978, he retired. Oh, that's because that album was not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what um, I'm saying. He, right, he, yeah. was, he was done. He was done with music. If the time. only album that doesn't like land on a chart or anything since before Monobone Jackson, so, or yeah. Monobone Jackson. So yeah, he he's like following the letter of the law yeah, <laughs> at this exactly. point, not the spirit of the law. Yeah, so he um, he retires, walks away from music, Mm -hmm. um and does that for nearly 30 years uh this guy that was you know a pinnacle of su success selling out madison square garden on like back-to-back -back nights right yeah. um and just uh this guy that was just the crumb of the crop when it comes to folk rock and i mean that's obviously true because of the amount of songs that are still so well known today um, but yeah, he just disappeared and he stopped. And, you know, I think that was an interesting part about him was because he did this out of his uh, religious convictions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what I really just respect about him the most is how much those convictions actually brought about change in his life. I think that's something that um, I think a lot of times people can use their faith as an excuse or like as a crutch or something like that. Uh, but he really allowed it to bring change to him and so he started you know x number of charities and schools over in the in, in uh across seas where he would be helping kids um and you know it was just so cool to see that like he was such a high character guy um that him retiring from music and getting out of the spotlight was his actual attempt to become a better person um and i just that's off the charts respect for me. Like I, I, I commend him greatly for that. Yeah. He's definitely a person who took his faith and takes his faith very, very seriously. And really he, he sought counsel from religious leaders uh, in the, the Muslim co community 
to, to determine whether he should still be in the music business or whether he could get out of the music business. And um, yeah, some of them said, sure, you can stay in music. Just don't sing things that are inappropriate or contrary to the teachings of Islam mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. But then there are others who said, no, I think this is too, too influenced by Western thought and practices and that it would be better for you just to leave. And so he goes, well, since there's no consensus, I'll just err on the side of caution. Yeah. And, and he and he walks away. So yeah, yeah, you're right. He he walks away not because anyone told him folk rock was incompatible with Islam, but because there wasn't consensus on I mean like I yes, yeah, so obviously I just think that he he wanted to really embrace and submit to uh Islam means submit. That's what uh yeah. the the name means. And so he you know, he clearly felt this incredible conversion experience where he uh believed that and and we see this you know we talk about it uh and when we break down the album later but uh there's a lot of religious and spiritual connotations in his Mm. song well before 78 so he's obviously wrestling with seeking answers you know well before um this this moment in time where he he decides that that he wants to be a practitioner of the Islamic faith. So yeah, I just think I totally agree. And, and, you know, I have a lot of friends who live all over the world and um, my experience with people who are practitioners of Islam are completely in alignment with uh, how, how Yusuf and Cat Stevens uh, carries himself of people who are very integritous people who uh, say what they mean who have strong convictions, whose yes is yes, um, who are hospi- who are hospitable. Uh, all of those, uh, for me, uh, they they come into alignment. You know, unfortunately in America, uh, our understanding of the Muslim faith has been completely tarnished uh, with with terrorism, and um, and and t- I think we ought to acknowledge, right, that there are certainly parts of fundamentalist Islam that are. Uh, absolutely violent and all that stuff but obviously the great majority of of people in the faith uh renounce and reject yeah. those tenets yeah and i i think it was important because uh you know cat stevens realized that he is an ambassador of the faith and so immediately after the 9-11 attacks before they even knew who perpetrated it cat stevens came out with a statement that said this is completely not in alignment with the teachings of Islam. Yeah. And so I just thought that there have been times, uh, certainly there have been also times where his, his convictions have been controversial. Um, but there are, have also been times where uh, he, he recognized his, his place as an ambassador for a religion that in the West has gotten terrible publicity. Um, and as somebody who has already kind of been welcomed into homes via record players and radios, yeah. uh, he's tried to use his voice uh, to, to be a voice, uh, of, you know, sharing the good, the good aspects, uh, of, of this belief system and and certainly tried to uphold the ideals that many people believe are, are true, uh, of this, of this approach to life. Yeah. Such a strong conviction within his own heart and how it affects his decisions and his actions and his, and his words. And so we see that after spending this, you know, decades out of the limelight um i i saw this thing where one of his friends 
you know, he made uh, after he came to faith, uh, said that he eventually got to the point with, you know, again, seeking counsel and talking with others. I think he finally woke up and realized he was being a little too strict. Um, and that like, yeah, he can still sing kind of a thing, yeah. which I thought was funny because we do see that he eventually comes out um, in 2006 and releases uh, his first album under the name Yusuf called mm-hmm. Another Cup. He, he releases a handful of albums after that under that same name. And a funny thing is, is that he actually just released a single a couple weeks ago. So we'll see what comes of that. Uh, <laughs> so Yusuf Islam is still uh, releasing music. Um, and so we see that he finally does make that shift. But something that I thought was really interesting was when he retired and stepped away from the industry, he also pulled his um, music from uh, the realm of pop culture. He didn't let his music be used in anything right? Uh, in terms of shows, movies, that kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what broke that mold, which I thought was really cool, was the 1999 movie Rushmore which was one of Wes Anderson's first movies Wes Anderson was this huge Cat Stevens fan uh and just like somehow reached out to him and pretty much just begged him let me use these songs on my movie and uh Cat conceded and um eventually that was kind of you know the first step in uh his first step in him you know coming back and you know it was only a few years later where he was releasing music consistently so i thought that was really funny like what brought him out of the shadows was wes anderson just begging him to use a few of his songs on on rushmore which is just hooks him out of his hidey hole yeah i thought that was a i thought that was a really funny thing so we see that cat stevens is a man of deep conviction and um but we also see him as an extremely talented artist where um, his guitar playing abilities and his lyrics writing come together and form, you know, beautiful music that continues to come through today. I would love to hear if you have uh, outside of Teaser and the Firecat, because we're going to be talking about that, if you have any additional, um, I know you plugged T for the Tillerman, but if you just had any additional songs or something of just like, hey, these are just some one-offs that you can uh, check out as well. What, are, what, what would be something that you'd plug? I love Wild World. Uh, yeah. from T and the Tillerman, Father and Son, also from that album, kind of a super awesome, well-known song. Um, yeah, I really, um, my, I, I love much of his work, but for me, um, if his catalog was nothing other than T for the Tillerman <laughs> uh, and uh, Teaser and the Firecat, I, I think he would still, uh, you know, most of the songs I love would, would be included. Um, yeah probably those are just like i mean those back-to-back albums were so good um certainly there are other great songs um that that he's put out in years um and even honestly some of the the more recent stuff that he's released under the name of yusef is very like cool coffee house kind of vibey you know like so there's nothing wrong with it but but i think that those two albums for me are just kind of like right in the sweet spot of his of his uh discography and they're just amazing yeah i think that's really fair i plugged earlier uh the first cut is the deepest i have really grown to love his rendition of it um that first single that he released i love my dog the song that i mentioned was what got him famous Uh, i just thought it was like a, a really good song because 
at first, the first line is, um, I love you as much as I love my dog, which is like, oh, that's kind of a weird way to speak to somebody you care about. Um, but then it's actually kind of endearing because it's talking about just how much his dog relies on him kind of a thing and how much he relies on his dog for companionship. So uh, there's something to be said for that, I guess. It's a creative song. Uh, but I will also, I would really love to plug on that first song on T for the Tillerman, uh, Where Do the Children Play? I'm yeah, just talking about song. this, um, just, you know, capitalism and, and, and big cities just like building and just everything's bigger and better and more and more and yada, yada, yada. But like the question is, but where do the children play? Like we're taking away all of the parks and the playgrounds because we need skyscrapers and more roads and yada, yada, yada. But what about the simplicity of life that brought us joy? Um, I think it's a powerful message, but also, again, I think it's um, a beautiful song musically, and he really dips down into his lower register, which I really love in that uh, in that song where he just kind of, um, he's one of those guys that can vocally just ride a wave for a little bit, and uh, we see that in a few of his songs where he can just pick a word and just sit on it for a couple measures as he goes up and down, and I, I really love that about him. Yeah, the uh, on Spotify, which is the the music service that I use to listen to all of the stuff that I listen to, um, they have the extended version of the album that we're going to be talking about later, uh, "Teaser in the Firecat," the deluxe edition, uh, which basically means that um, they have all the tracks of the song, and then they have them all again of him performing them live. Yeah. And which I love because you really get a feel for the actual giftedness of an artist when they're performing live. Obviously they don't have any kind of edits or retakes to kind of hide behind. And um, he's really, really good like live too. So obviously um, he holds up really well in the live recordings. So you're, you're dealing with someone who's really got, um, the ability to to play without hiding behind any kind of like engineering or editing um and still sound just as good as he does yeah on the on the studio album yeah that's good um and i'd also just like to agree with you in saying that i i enjoyed specifically that first yusuf album another cup mm -hmm. uh i really thought that was a good album um those Yusuf albums are, you know, very calm and uh, uh, folky, I guess. And like you said, uh, you would find them featured on a, on a coffee house mix. Uh, but I, yeah, I could definitely see myself popping that album on in the future, just, you know, whenever you're studying or reading or whatever. Um, so like he still has it. And that single that I mentioned that he just released literally a couple weeks ago, uh, it's like pretty good, honestly. Yeah. His voice has really matured well. Yeah. He just pretty much sounds the same. It's just, I guess, a little bit deeper, has a little bit more body to it, but his voice has really weathered well, which isn't always, which is rarely the case. <laughs> for right. Art. A lot of those screamer dudes, like, they can't sing anymore, you know? Uh, yeah. I remember seeing uh, Pete Townsend uh, sing, you know, at a, at a reunion uh, uh, concert that The Who put on, and I was like, Oh, dude, this is terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and, you know, obviously a very different vocal approach, you know, of screaming yeah. your heart out, you know, in a rock ballad versus kind of just gently 
carrying a, a melodic tune with an acoustic guitar. So those are going to wear on your voice differently. But I, I totally agree. I love uh, his older voice. It's got more texture, more, uh, yeah, like depth to it. Uh, I agree that it sounds very, very nice. Yeah, he is a great all-around artist. And we see that um, so many folks pull from him in terms of inspiration and uh, also just like pointing back to him for just what his music meant to them. And so I guess that should bring us to our final question uh, for you, Nate, where we ask the question, where do you hear him now? Uh, where you give us some modern day equivalents of um, musical artists that have some lingering sounds of Cat Stevens. Well, yeah, you know, he's kind of the, um, you know, he's an acoustic male vocalist. So, yeah. you know, you could go a lot of ways with this, but the folks that I have that I think remind me the most of him are Jose Gonzalez. Um, oh yeah. Glenn Hansard, uh, the band Iron and Wine. Uh, they oh. definitely have kind of a chill Cat Stevens vibe. And I'm also going to say Ray Lamontagne uh, kind of has that sultry singer uh, and his beard and hair also make him look like a young Cat Stevens. Say, so, yeah. <laughs> like he might win a lookalike award. If they're going to do a biopic, I would, I would suggest Ray Lamontagne to, to play uh, Cat Stevens when he's younger. Yeah, his album, uh, Gossip in the Grain, specifically, that picture of him on the cover. It, Absolutely. He's got some cat going on there, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those, I think that they're definitely, um, when you think of accessible, easy to listen to, um, moving, intimate, uh, acoustic folk stuff, um, those are the those are the folks that I think come to mind. Yeah, I think those are really good um, because when you think of Cat Stevens, he's um, he's a pretty simple artist. You know, he doesn't. Um, we talked about a few episodes ago that Simon and Garfunkel album. Paul Simon was pushing himself immensely as a composer to bring in so many weird things, right? And he broke a lot of ground. Uh, doing those things um, and it's so funny to me you put that Bridge Over Troubled Water album in juxtaposition to Cat Stevens work and it really is like I'm a guy I play guitar there's a you know some backing tracks behind me um, but like I'm pretty stripped down and I'm just gonna like still make these songs that last the test of time even with its simplicity um, and I think that just really speaks to his ability as a songwriter to um, bring that kind of weight through uh, a music that's you know pretty simple one of the hardest things in the world to do is to write songs that are simple but um people resonate with right like yeah. the more details you remove the less handholds you give to people to to like connect to um we've all like heard generic songs and kind of been like, meh, like who cares? That song's not about anything. So to, to, to make a song simple and have it resonate with people. Um, and yeah, like we said, and the, the time test is the best test ever, right? Like do people yeah. still care about your music in 20 years and 40 years and 50 years? And if the answer is yes, then you've obviously got something special. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that all of his success is, is very well deserved. Uh, he writes simple songs that have lasted the test of time. 
uh, that, that people resonate with, that's really, really hard to do. And yeah. if it wasn't hard to do, a lot of people would do it. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that's a great place to end this conversation um, where we have just been discussing the great career and uh, discography of Cat Stevens turned Yusuf Islam um, and just how he has been able to create music that has just uh, been so good from start to finish. And that's just like, a, I just think he is one of those guys where I really love his music and also just really respect him as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been what I've enjoyed the most of um, the research of this particular episode is just seeing how um, he was one of the good ones. And I just, I, I really like that about him. So stick around because coming up uh, in just a bit, we're going to have our guests joining us as we talk to them about Cat Stevens' 1971 album, Teaser and the Firecat. We'll pick that thing apart because it is a body of work that is beautiful uh, and needs to be discussed. So stay right here and we will be right back. Excited to be back with our two guests here today uh, as we are gearing up to talk about the great Cat Stevens album Teaser and Firecat, and which came out in 1971. Here today is a, uh, a, a dear friend of the family at um, at our uh, our from my hometown. Her name is Jen. How are you doing today, Jen? I am great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm having a great day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the other buddy of mine who is on here today is a, um, a great friend named Chase. So, Chase, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm ready to talk about some 70s rock, baby. Nice. That sounds good. That sounds good. So, yeah, why don't we, uh, just, why don't we just get started? Um, and, Jen, I would love for you to just start us off. You kind of grew up listening to this music, and I just uh, would love to hear just what your um, – you know what your personal thoughts and your uh your opinion is of of cat stevens music and kind of like what it made you feel when you're listening to it again in the last couple of weeks okay um so i'm not trying to tell my age but i was born in 1972 so literally i'm pretty much a cradle baby with yeah. cat stevens um and if i'm being honest when i was younger younger before before my teenage years, I always thought that um, Cat Stevens' best song was Cat in the Cradle, because I had no idea that Cat Stevens did not sing that. Nice. Um, so I was kind of disappointed when I got older and found out that that was not Cat Stevens. But no, honestly, um, my dad was a huge fan of 60s and 70s music, so I don't know, Jackson Brown, like Bob Dylan, of course, like I like Leonard Cohen. Um, just because he had a really folky sound to his yeah. voice as well. But Cat obviously was obviously on the repeat because that was the day and age where he had the vinyl or the eight track. He didn't have the radio stations to mix it up a little bit. So literally you ended up learning and hearing the same, not just the same songs over again, but the same artists because um, you'd play your vinyl from beginning to end because it wasn't you know so you didn't have to change it so um it was really kind of nostalgic for me to kind of hear some of the songs again um especially like i don't know moon shadow just seemed to take me back when i was younger more than any of the other ones yeah. um even though um, of course 
course, everyone loves, well, I don't know if everyone loves, but everyone should love Peace Train. Um, and it's, I think that one's super familiar. So that one was another one where I just kind of always just go back to that moment with my dad sitting there or, you know, listening to um, some of the best kind of music that I feel came out of that era. Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, that's a good story. That's a good story. Chase, as a as a guy who, um, you know, didn't really know of Cat Stevens beforehand, tell me what your first impressions were as you listened to this album for the first time. Um, yeah, I was going to say I have, I have an opposing viewpoint from Jen. Didn't even know who this guy's name was. However, however he has some songs that I did know, and I remember um, talking with Tyler, I'm like, yeah, I know this song. This is from Remember the Titans, referring yeah. to Train. <laughs> um, no, but just, you know, from listening to him, he does give you that sense of like an upbeat kind of voice, kind of tone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more of a relaxed, a chill kind of vibe. So I love that like mix. I'm an upbeat kind of guy myself. So I love songs that have that upbeat, that good spirited tone to it. Um, and that's kind of what cat stevens had for me nice that's cool yeah uh nate what were your thoughts on the album um this album is brilliant i think it's probably uh my favorite album we've listened to uh other than the simon and garfunkel one from episode one yeah and um he's he's um do you know who who was it was it in sync or was it the backstreet boys that sang the lyric We've got the gift of melody. You remember that? Uh, they're one and the same. So you, you might have been too young, Tyler. That was in sync. Thank you, Chase. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say about Cat Stevens, uh, Yusuf, that he's an amazing uh, melody writer. Sometimes the lyrics don't make a lot of sense. Um, I don't think he's as prolific as a songwriter as a Carol King or someone else like that. But the melodies are so um, accessible and they sound like songs, you know, even if it's the first time you've listened to them. So I love this. I love this album. It's, it's genius. So yeah, it's definitely, I agree with Chase. It, it puts you in a good mood. Uh, It doesn't, it's not like hyper peppy, but it's definitely got energy. Um, And yeah, it kind of invites you into kind of a joyful, like lounging, in the summer by a lake kind of mood. That's where I went mentally. Yeah, that's good. I went into the research of this episode, really only knowing um, Peace Train and Wild World, right? I I knew of Cat Stevens by name, specifically from those two songs. Um, And I think what I loved the most after listening to this album in its entirety for the first time was... um, that he has a lot of songs that um, I guess he had, he had a handful of songs that were just very different from that sound. I guess Peace Train and, and Wild World, I would say, are pretty consistent with each other in terms of uh, the sound that he was trying to capture. Um, and then, you know, I think I probably also knew The Wind, which is the first track on this album. Um, but yeah, it, it, those are like more folky forward, I guess. And you know, he has songs on this album that actually really caught me by surprise that are a lot more aggressive uh, when I think of songs like um, Bitter Blue or um, what was another one? Like Changes Number 4. Yeah, like these ones had a lot more oomph behind them. 
And when I put it on for the first time, it actually kind of caught me off guard at first. I was like, oh man, he actually can, he actually goes kind of hard on some of these different songs. And so that was a fun realization for me where it felt at first that he was just going to be kind of a pretty consistent uh, sounding artist, but he actually, he changes it up. And I think that speaks to what you're saying, Nate, of just his ability to write different melodies and all. So it was a really fun album to listen to. I agree with all of you. So let's talk about some of our favorite songs on the album. Uh, Just ones that stood out to you immediately. um, Ones that, you know, caught your attention. Chase, we'll we'll start with you. What were a couple of your favorites? Um, And I know you mentioned this song actually just a second ago, that bitter blues song really. And when I say the upbeat kind of tone, that song really hit the nail on the head. It just got me in a good mood, whether I understood the lyrics to it or not, it just put me there. Um, so that one stood out, Tuesday's Dead. Now that title does not make you think happiness or upbeat vibe, yet it was another one. It really kind of just had a catchy tone to it. And like, I was like, oh, this is good to just jam to. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously have Peace Train, which is my number one, right? That gives you the Remember the Titans vibe when Gary Boutier was invited over Julius and they hugged it out. And it was great. Um, right, left side, strong side. Left side, strong side. Yeah, so those were the couple of songs that kind of stood out to me. That's good. Uh, Jen, what were some of your favorites? Um, obviously, I like Morning is Broken. Mm. Um, I just like the hymn like quality, the I like the meditating factor of it. Uh, I also liked I just felt like some of the songs were completely indicative of him and his journey. Um, like longing for something and being that relatable to that, like because I feel like he was just always seemed to be restlessly seeking. So I felt like some of the songs, even like Bitter Blue to me, um, gave me the idea that it was just part of his journey, such an interesting journey that he has taken over the years. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I, I always, I did like moon shadow with the nostalgia of that, but, um, changes, I love the folk rock in changes for, I just love the different side of him coming out. Like, boom, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. So, um, I really love that revisiting. That's good. Yeah. Those are all, those are all really good there nate what were uh, some of your favorites i liked if i laugh um yeah. it's a kind of uh very soft and and seemingly sweet song because he's talking about laughing but really he's trying to convince himself to get over somebody uh so that's kind of a cool uh little twist and and there's even he doesn't really finish sentence sometimes in that. And you can almost feel like the space in the song he's going, he's trying to convince himself that if he pretends like it's okay after the relationship's over, then he'll start believing it. So it's, I, I really kind of think it's a little bit of uh, brilliance there. Um, and then, yeah, I like Moonshadow too. Uh, I like when he jumps an octave. Uh, here's the danger though of writing songs with such ambiguous lyrics I had a cat growing up named Moonshadow, and I think it's just about a cat walking around. Um, <laughs> Being followed by Moonshadow. And when he jumps up into the octave, I'm like, that's the voice I would use to call my cat in at the end of the day. Moonshadow, Moonshadow. Like, yeah. Uh, what do you think about that, Tyler? 
That's good. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, typically don't like cats, but that is a that is a fun story. So, um, the cat was pure black with a crescent white moon on his back. Nice. That's good. That's not true. I made that up, but it could have been true. <laughs> uh, so I think for for me personally, this is going to be another one of those albums where I'm going to have to make the distinction between favorite and best because. Uh, I think my favorite song and the best song are different on this album. And so for me, uh, Chase and I kind of synced up on this where my favorite song on the album uh, was also on his list with Bitter Blue. I think that song just was, I just thought it was awesome. I just like the line of, I gave my last chance to you. Don't give it back to me, Bitter Blue, right? Like one, just like naming uh, naming the significant other um, bitter is kind of a funny way just to put in like a little nickname in for that person and after like a, a bad breakup or something but he's just like you know i i gave you my last chance like uh please don't give it back to me because it, it was the last one and i think i just also liked it because of um just how different it was from his other songs i mentioned earlier how it kind of caught me off guard when it came on um and it instantly grabbed me of, I just really, really liked it. And I found myself kind of going back to it specifically when I would listen to the album out of order, I would be queuing up that song specifically. Uh, but I really do think, and I think it's funny that I don't think any of you guys mentioned it, but I really think that the best song on the album is that first song, The Wind. I, um, I just think it's just really, really beautiful how it's written. Um, I think it kind of talks to what you were saying, Jen, of just kind of how he was constantly searching and just, that opening line of I follow the wind of my soul, right? You know, constantly changing, constantly moving and blowing. And um, we see that that is true in his story of like, he really was constantly trying to pursue and, and capture um, something different and something higher. And so I think that really is embodied in that song. And I thought it was really beautiful. And the one thing that I also really loved, you hear it come out in a couple other of his songs, but I love specifically in that chorus of the wind when he dips down into his lower octave when he's singing the nevers. Uh, it, it's just like a, it shows he doesn't spend a lot of time down there when he sings, but it shows that like he actually really does have some range because I think the control on that of just shifting from a higher tone down into the basement and then back up again after just, you know, a one beat of a measure. Uh, I just thought it was like really beautiful and it speaks to his um, melody writings as you were mentioning earlier, Nate. So that was what I believe is probably the best song on the album, which I really, really enjoyed. Uh, well, I just want to point out, I'm not really sure how much anyone got to research, but not to break your heart or anything, but I really don't think Cat Stevens was a cat person, even though your moon shadow cat story was so cute. <laughs> uh, because when he was a British pop star, he had a song called I Love My Dog. And if oh, you haven't checked it out, you should check it out. So I don't really think he was a cat person, even though um, I loved your story about your cat. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm just teasing. But um, so for me, I thought it was super interesting, um, the length of his songs, some of them, because I feel like they're very direct and to the point. And I also feel like sometimes with repetition, you lose your intentionality. So for me, some of the shorter songs specifically like even the wind it was just it's nice to hear music that is very intentional and just not eight minutes of a song that's repeated 
over and over and over because like I said, I feel like your intentionality gets lost in translation mm. sometimes. Yeah. But then, um, yeah, so I just, I thought that was super, super, one of the super interesting things about it and listening to him in general was that um, he was super intentional. That's a really good point, I think, as well. Um, Chase, what are, what were some things that you found? Well, that was, first of all, extremely insightful. I don't know if what I'm going to say is going to be that uh, insightful, but probably won't be. It's not even fun. It's not even a fun fact. Uh, I found out he he had tuberculosis, right? Yeah. Um, but the I, I, if you're gonna point out something afterwards, after when he was like in the hospital getting these injections and things, it changed his outlook not only on life, like in, in enhanced his spirituality, but like it changed the way he wrote his music and the next 40 songs or so he has a different vibe to it and that came from him you have to appreciate life right like we don't know when you know when our time's going to be so i think that's what kind of his outlook and it changed the way he wrote his music and sang his music from that point on so i found that interesting um again not fun but it was something that really stuck out to me i'm like oh wow like definitely man no yeah that i think that is i think that is really good there is a difference between this album and, you know, you could probably plug a couple of the other ones that are released close to this one as well. That is very different from his first couple. Uh, he definitely makes that switch um, in the style, you know, losing the pop side emphasis on the folk side, but also with his lyrics as well. Like you were saying, Chase, he um, was definitely writing with a little bit more heart and a little bit more, putting more emphasis on, on life and such. So that, yeah, that's a really good point, man. Nate, did you find anything that, uh, interests you? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. Again, I think it's, uh, all in all, just kind of a really beautiful record. Uh, the morning has broken. I, I know some know this, but it's not an original. It's a, it's a cover of a Christian hymn. Yeah. Um, which is interesting considering, uh, Cat Stevens eventual, um, you know, what what's the word I'm looking for? Um, conversion. Conversion. Nice. I'm a pastor and I can't think of the word conversion. There you go. Uh, to Islam in 1977. Uh, and so yeah, to your point earlier about the song "The Wind" and others that like it. There's obviously he's searching, and, he, and that's coming through the music. Um, and you know, so much so that that his cover of this Christian hymn becomes internationally known and people think that he he wrote it because he kind of popularized it uh internationally so that's kind of cool um the other thing is i think one of the i feel like of all the artists we've covered so far he's the most like the old school american folk artists that first come to mind when i think of folk like pete seeger and those guys and and specifically because we haven't talked enough about it yet the the song Moonshadow. Um, it kind of has that if I had a hammer vibe to it, you know what I mean? Like there's this kind of um repetition, very simple, very accessible melody that's repeated a lot, but it has kind of a larger import. Um so so I like I think that's kind of a cool thing. Um and like peace train. I mean, like let's not overlook that as like a kind of like his most famous song and a beautiful song. And um, and I really love the message of that song. Yeah, that's all true. That's good. I think one of the things that really stuck out to me about this 
this album in particular is just how, and I guess his music as a whole, but at, you know, as we're talking about Teaser and the Firecat, um, specifically, we see that he is just so um, conscious of society and culture and himself, right? We, we're talking about how he personally is constantly on this journey, and you can hear that in his music. But also, I love how um, he kind of served as like a modern day prophet of sorts in the music world. He was constantly calling culture and society into a place of peace into a place of, of mutual respect. I mean, we, we hear the peace train is obviously saying, everybody, let's get along. Like, let's get on the peace train. Uh, the song changes for, we see that he's saying like, can you feel the changes coming? Like there's something better ahead of us. Right. Um, and even the hymn morning has broken. It's talking about this new life, this new birth, right? These new mercies that we wake up to each morning. And so um, I think that's one of the things that, um, we see to be true throughout his entire career, uh, but I, it becomes very prevalent to me on Teaser and Firecat because um, he is, yeah, he's just constantly calling society into, he's holding society into a higher standard than what it holds for itself. And he's pretty unflinching in that on his different songs, which I, which I really liked. I thought that was a cool take on music. He kind of really represents um a a outside perspective in folk music which has been mostly dominated by american and canadian artists at this point uh but you know cat stevens originally uh, from england um and then also has um parents that are um his dad was greek and even the Ruby Love song has some lyrics that are that are Greek, yeah, um, in them. And then obviously his later you know conversion to to Islam, he kind of represents this kind of like um, maybe like atypical spice that doesn't always find itself in the cuisine of like American seventies folk rock. But obviously, it was resonating. You know, it was, um, and his his. Yeah, his just gift of of melody. I d I definitely agree with with what Chase said earlier. Is like you connect with him and his lyrics, and they they seem very heartfelt. They seem uh, his performance seems very sincere and earnest. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of think it's kind of cool how he fits so harmoniously into you know the '70s rock genre, and yet he kind of is coming at it from a certainly more spiritual and religious and and, and a different cultural perspective as well i really like that about his music because it does that i think that's what sets him apart um because when you think about it this album it is pretty it's very simple musically compared to some of the other um some of the other albums that we've reviewed on this show um it really is like it's just kind of a guy in an acoustic guitar and he definitely has some backing tracks but like it's a pretty it's a pretty simple uh album when it comes musically. He's obviously a phenomenal guitar player and I keep yes. thinking of like those riffs and changes for I just don't know if I can like play that quickly, <laughs> you know. Uh I don't know if I can. It's just kind of funny. Um so like it, he's he's obviously extremely talented, um but for his music to pack such a punch and carry such weight uh while being so stripped down and so simple, I think that's also 
you know, something commendable to point out. Yeah, there are things he does musically that are deceptively difficult, but he makes them seem easy. Um, the the song Ruby Love, um, when he switches to Greek, uh, the time signature changes slightly to 7-8, uh, which is typical uh, for, for Greek music. Um, obviously, Morning Has Broken is played uh, in like the Walt, the traditional waltz. Uh, one, two, three, one, two. morning has broken. Like this, some of those musical things are really interesting. Um, and again, yeah, but it's, it doesn't seem forced or complicated. It just seems natural and easy when he does it. Let's wrap up today's conversation uh, with the question that we end every episode with, where we ask if it's, um, if it's important and if it's worth still listening to Cat Stevens' music, uh, and specifically this album, Teaser and the Firecat. So, Jen, uh, I will go to you first. Do you believe um, that the younger generations should still spend time with this music? Um, absolutely. absolutely. And even, I know we're talking about specifically this album, but obviously there's a couple songs on his other album that I just feel like have come full circle with relevance. One of them obviously being Peace Train today. This is what we need to be hearing. Yeah. Um, and obviously what wild world is kind of what I'm feeling mm-hmm. um, in today's day and age. So that to me was relevant as, and even um, I know it's obviously like, like I said, not on this album, however, with the current state of things and things that happen to our children in this world right now, um, where, where the children play has been very um, compelling to me lately. I've been listening to it for a while. Um, so I just feel like the relevance of his music has come kind of around in full circle for some of the things that he, that were important to him to acknowledge and the same injustices of things that we need to acknowledge today. Um, and then also, I feel like, you know, youth today, some of them want authenticity. And I'm not sure you can get more authentic than a guy with his guitar who's not in a computer studio with a bunch of computer made sounds or doesn't have voiceovers and his fillers in his songs are his rifting on his own with his voice, yeah. um, which I think is fantastic and speaks hugely to his musical talent. So um, yeah, I feel like any generation would benefit from listening to not just the music, but the lyric. I think that's good insight to show how um, he really does embody a two in one kind of style. That's awesome. Uh, Chase? This, I mean, these artists and Cat Stevens in particular makes, puts things in perspective for us and it gives us, for me at least, it gave me a sense of nostalgia. Although I wasn't there during this time period, it made me think of just past memories I had in the summertime or with my friends or even in college. Um, He brings a sense of realness and genuine to his lyrics and to his sound. And it just makes you just want to listen to it and continue listening to it. So absolutely. I recommend people of all ages to listen to Mr. Cat. Nate, what are your thoughts? Should young folks be listening to Cat Stevens? Clearly they should be. I don't think we will ever answer this question with a no on this podcast, but the reason they should is because if you love something, you need to try it in its own habitat created by the people who invented it, such as 
if you love pizza, Tyler Henry, you should really go to Italy or New York or somewhere else that has good pizza and have it made like by a mom and pop that's got like recipes handed down to them for 30 years. Like that's the pizza you want. Um, to, to Jen's point earlier, you know, like you, we've all had the chain pizzas and it serves in a pinch, but at the end of the day, I think the thing that really makes our mouth water is that homemade tried and true original, like amazing. And that's what Cat Stevens is in this genre of music. He's, he's an OG. He helped invent the genre. Right. And so think of, I was telling Tyler this earlier this week when I ran into a coffee shop, think of how crowded the market is of dudes singing and playing acoustic guitar right like that like every dude who can hold a tune in a bucket on college campus has tried this gig right um and writing songs and all that stuff and so this is a very very crowded market right like there are lots of dudes with guitars who have a decent singing voice that would love to make it big and they all pursue that the various degrees of success but this is the guy who like did it when it was um, kind of coming to fruition in, in the larger culture, succeeded amazingly and walked away from it all because of his own, you know, religious convictions. So I just think, yeah, like it's, he's, he's so good. I, I don't know how you could listen to this album and not conclude he's incredibly gifted. So yes, it's definitely worth your time. If you love pizza, you need to go and get great pizza. If you love folk music, if you love acoustic music, uh, you've got to listen to Cat Stevens. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, um, I too agree that this album and this artist is specifically worth a listen. Um, and I think it's because, one, we think about just how good the music is and that's what we're talking about on you know in this conversation is just um how he is able to convey very um deep heartfelt um emotions through his lyrics but also how he is able to how he's able to play his guitar so well i think is those two things together partner to make you know great music uh, but also, I just think, like, I really love his content that is found within the lyrics um, because I just think that they are just, they're so genuine and they're so authentic. And I think he is the guy that was at the peak of his success. You know, all of his albums in the 70s uh, ranked in the top 10 of their respective release, every single one of them. And so, like, he was the guy that was so highly sought after um, was a guy that was so highly respected, and yet he was unflinching in his message, and he also he was so true to himself, which I think that's just one of the reasons why I like him so much is after doing all this research and listening to the music and learning more about his story, I think I just respect him as as a man uh, so much more after doing all of this, but also when you put him into comparison of some of these other rockers who produced, you know, great music, uh, but their personal lives were, uh, you know, a mess. This was the guy that like really took it seriously to produce great music. Um, but also he held himself to such a high standard personally, and he was constantly calling society to that same standard. And so I think I just really respected that, 
Um, and even though the music was really good as a standalone, I think that made me appreciate the music more. And so I would definitely say that Teaser and the Firecat by Cat Stevens is worth your listen. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this episode, y'all. But I just want to say thank you so much again to our two guests, Jen and Chase. You guys are awesome, and I'm so thankful for your insights. Um, And if you liked what you heard, have no fear, because Nate and I will be right back here in a couple of weeks as we continue on this journey of discovering new artists, to us at least, um, that really came to prominence during the 70s in this genre of folk rock. So we will be back with new friends discussing new artists, and uh, we really hope you stop by. Because remember, at least for this summer, when you're here, the forecast is always a high of 70s. 